Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello and welcome once again to the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter and this is Phil. Hello. Hello, Phil. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about Hellraiser Revelations. Hot off the press. Yes, the ninth film in the Hellraiser series, which was released... Last week, as we're doing this now, the 18th of October, 2011. So we're going to talk about the film now. We're going to do this in two sections. We're going to, first of all, talk about it for those who haven't seen the film yet, but want to see it. So we'll do a brief sort of reviewer's synopsis and tell you what we thought of it. And then after that, we'll go into full spoilerific detail and tell you what we thought about the whole thing. So let's begin with some background, first of all. The film was made last year, in 2010... It's written by Gary Tunnicliffe, who has done the special effects on the last few films Mm. really well. They're all excellent. They are. So we just want to say that we really like Gary Tunnicliffe's special effects from the other films. (laughs) Yes. If Gary's listening to this, we, we love your special effects, Gary. Yeah. So he had a pitch for the remake The Dimension is still trying to make at the moment, which they didn't want for that, but they decided to make into a ninth Hellraiser film and they've I think they're on record as saying this was just made so they could hang on to the rights yeah I think that's pretty well established they they... had to bring a film out otherwise they would lose the rights to someone else for the whole franchise and so they had to just churn something out so Gary Tunnicliffe well they didn't have to just churn something out that's true (laughs) (laughs) they could have made a good film I mean yeah we're getting ahead of ourselves (laughs) Um, so Gary Tunnicliffe had this script that he wrote and they liked it and they decided to make the film. Um, it features Pinhead, so they approached Doug Bradley to play Pinhead, and he declined. Now, if you go onto the Hellraiser Revelations Wikipedia page, you can read a big long quote by Doug Bradley. I'll just read a little bit of it out for you now. He says, The ink is barely dry on the script, and it's scheduled to be in front of the cameras in two weeks' time and in the can by the middle of next month. This was all last year. The shooting schedule is more than matched by the budget. and then he says however I wish everyone who will be directly involved in the making of this film good luck with it so that's nice of him yes that's very nice of him and very charitable and I guess you know he must be um, friends with Gary Tonicliffe or you know they've worked together and so you know this must be a very strange situation for him yeah it must be because he he might work with him in the future quite possibly well I did read um, and again you don't know whether these things are true or not that he'd said that he wasn't properly approached by the studio, that it was people that he knew who were going to be working on it who said, are you going to be in it? I don't know if that's true or not. Mm. But I think there was some... you know, That's actually, yeah, it's in this quote. He says, I would stress that I have had no contact from or negotiations with anyone from Dimension Films. Rather, these contacts have been by way of private discussion with individuals involved with this project. Yeah. Right, okay. So that's so. a bad start straight off, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> a worse start, before we even get to the film, is what Clive Barker put on Twitter about it. What did he think about it? Well, apparently there was a, an advert or something that came out that, that said, from the mind of Clive Barker. And he put on Twitter, I want to put on record that the flick out there using the word Hellraiser is no fucking child of mine. I have nothing to do with the fucking thing. If they claim it's from the mind of Clive Barker, it's a lie. It's not even from my butthole. (laughs) (laughs) Strong words. So Clive Barker would tell you that this is nothing to do with him and would kind of 
put you off seeing the film by reading that. He would, and especially if we put this into context, because Clive Barker's been involved in very small ways on some of the other Hellraiser films. Like, he's sort yeah. of, you know, he's he's put his uh, comments into the people making them or said, Definitely. maybe you should change this. And some of those are, are not great. No, but even up until the last one, he was involved in Hellworld. He was shown a rough cut of it and came up with suggestions little improvements to add and here and there and the director went and added little things that he said so he was definitely involved in that one so you know and that that's that's a really poor film <laughs> uh, and clive barker was willing to at least yeah you know yeah, have a chat yeah. about it but this one clive's not not loving it no so let's get into it all right the film starts with some camcorder footage which you'll if you've seen the trailer you'll have seen all this already some of it is kind of found footage material that's on this video camera Two young friends, Nico Bradley, oh Bradley, uh, Bradley, yeah, yeah. and Stephen Craven. Could that be a Wes Craven reference? Do you think? Maybe, yeah. Doesn't make any sense for there to be a Wes Craven reference in a Hellraiser film. But... No. Maybe they're mates with him or something. Maybe. So anyway, Nico and Stephen have flown the coop of their home in Los Angeles and are going off to Mexico for an adventure mm-hmm. to get drunk and have sex have sex not with each other Nico, no with girls Nico says to Stephen that he's going to get his dick wet doesn't he he does say he that. also says the phrase he's going to get his knob gobbled <laughs> and this is right at the very opening so it really kind of well it puts you off really from the beginning thinking, oh who are these idiots so yeah so they they, they go off to Mexico yeah and, and then the next thing you see again on, on the camcorder footage is they've got the Puzzle box, ooh. Mm, puzzle box, yeah. And they open it and something happens, you don't quite see, but Pinhead turns up. Mm, we'll talk mm. about him in a bit. And uh, all, then it then it cuts to Stephen's mum watching the video. And now we go to the kind of story proper, which is Stephen's parents and his sister and Nico's parents are gathering together. Apparently it's one year later, but I didn't really spot any reference to that in the film but that's what I've read okay the, the kids have been missing for a, for a year and they think they've been murdered and then Emma the sister Stephen's sister she finds the puzzle box in the bags which apparently were retrieved by the Mexican authorities again that's not really mentioned I don't no, think no it's not but that's what I've read and she finds the box fiddles with it and then all of a sudden Stephen turns up outside mm. and that's all we're going to give you for now. For anyone who does want to watch the film, we'll talk about it a little bit more now, but that's as much plot as we're going to give you for now. We'll go into details in a moment. Mm-hmm. But so that's the idea. So these two guys disappeared and then one of them turns up again. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the film for a moment. Like a little review, as it were. A little review just of our thoughts. Phil? <laughs> uh, I really, I really hate this film. <laughs> really really hate it and I feel a bit angry that yeah. I had to watch it uh, I was excited when we sat down to watch it you know I was like a new Hellraiser film mm-hmm. you know there's that little tingle of wow a Hellraiser film I haven't seen before and um, it just bored the pants off me I just thought it was a tremendously boring film mm. you Peter? Yeah, well, kind of similar. I mean, I was very excited. I pre-ordered it from Amazon and it arrived, I think, two days after it came out. And 
it came through the letterbox and I was really excited. I rushed to the DVD player and put it in and watched it and thought, ah, it's just not, it's just not a very good film. And it's such a shame to say that about a Hellraiser film. But, okay, the main problems are, I still think the story's okay. We'll go into the, the story the, properly the, later Yeah, on. the idea yeah, behind it the is not too bad. The plot, I think, is quite, is quite good. I mean, I quite like it. But the script, the actual screenplay, is quite poor. It's bad. The dialogue is very bad. Yes, it's very... It doesn't really make uh, much sense. And characters say things, just loads of exposition. They say things that they would never say. No. You know. And um, also the acting is really bad. It is. Particularly from the two uh, lead guys. Well, I wouldn't say particularly from them. I think the girl who plays Emma's... Right. Well, maybe the, I, I re- those two guys really stood out for me as being really poor. Yeah. I think because they have a bit more to do, whereas the others are kind of... No, they, they are. Kind of, mm. yeah. Um, yeah, especially the guy that plays Stephen, who's the one that turns up again. Um, he's quite shocking. And yeah. no, actually, it's not just him. The bo- they both are. They're both really bad, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm going to feel quite bad during this podcast because I don't want to be really negative about it because I know the people put a lot of effort in. But unfortunately, it's not good enough. I mean, the acting... For a lot of the time, they look like they're putting a lot of effort in. They look like they're really trying their hardest to act well, but they haven't got very good lines to say, and they're not very talented, a lot of them. And even no matter how hard you try, and it could be the direction as well, the way they were directed, it could be that as well, but it just falls really flat. And they Or they say things that just don't make any sense, and it's, well, like you said, the motivation is not there for the characters that there's no reason why this person would say this and if it was real life this wouldn't happen and all things like that that yeah should just, should be thought about it it reminded me of a kind of um drama school play where yeah. people are very young actors and they've they're all in these rooms talking at each other and they're kind of shouting at each other and stuff but they, there was no real there's no real intention behind any of the characters and there's no real tension threat mm interest going on in any of the scenes for me no i agree and some people might watch it and i mean there's some quite good special effects every now and again there's some cenobites and there's some sort of blood effects and some chains and all that sort of thing so some people might watch it and think oh yeah there was that bit where this person got chain in their face and all and but unfortunately it's not good enough for the rest of the film i mean you look at the first film which this film does try and emulate quite heavily it, it's very it's taking a lot of ideas from Hellraiser and lines in fact yes which 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 I think is I think they were trying to go for like a tribute you know yeah an homage but well, I that think makes sense quite... because, it, because Gary Tunnicliffe was it was originally supposed to be you know his version of a remake of the first one yeah and I think it just comes off as a bit insulting in this one because it really just looks this one just is so bad in comparison and to kind of keep reminding you of the first film as you watch it is a really big mistake and and the bottom line i hate to say it listeners at home but the the thing that i thought when i finished watching this film was that i don't want to encourage anyone to buy it <laughs> and i know that everyone's fans and we all want to watch it you know because you've got to see it and 
but and I don't really know what the answer to this problem is because I also don't want the studio to think they can get away with this. And no, that people that's and it true. will make money for them. I don't want them to make money off this film because <laughs> I, I want them to carry on making Hellraiser films and I want this to continue. But they they've got to understand that this is this is barely a film. It's yeah. very poor. And part of it is to do with the budget as well. They had a very, very small budget, which you can tell. But just the sets, I mean, like you said, at one point, it looks like a play. It looks like yeah. a stage they, setting. They just look like um, sort of wooden flat sets, you know, yeah. cardboard sets and stuff. And it, it, it looks bad. And, you know, a lot of people are, 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 are really willing, especially with Hellraiser. There's so much goodwill with Hellraiser, you know. Yeah. Really willing and to watch a film and, and say, okay, the sets are bad and... Okay, you know this is a, uh, but the core there's no core to this film. There's no heart. There's no soul. No, there's just there's just a story. It's and just some words. It's just a way of making people buy a box that's got Hellraiser written on the front. Yeah. So let's wrap up the section that was for people who'd want to see it. <laughs> Wrapping up with the fact that you're telling them not to go and see it or not to get it or uh, buy it. Um, but I, I mean, I would say, obviously, if you're a big Hellraiser fan, especially if you live in America, because we can't get it over here unless we order it from America. But if you're in America and you're a big Hellraiser fan, you're probably going to buy it or you're going to go around someone's house who's got it. Maybe you could set up like a Hellraiser club where, you know, 10 fans <laughs> buy one copy and they all put like a pound in or a dollar or whatever. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> Hellraiser pool. Yeah, to watch a really poor film. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. Jesus. I just kind of feel like I just wouldn't wish this on anybody else, this film, you know? Yeah. And it's funny, because on some of the forums, you've got people who say they quite like it, and they're being quite positive about it, and saying that it's better than some of the others. Yeah, I tell you what, one thing that I really thought when I was watching this one um, was I thought back to some of my criticisms that we've done on the previous podcasts of, yeah, of the other films, I and I felt bad. Yeah, me too. And I would like to actually wipe away some of the criticisms I've, I've made of the other films purely on the basis of watching this one. Because they were awesome in comparison. In comparison, they were all awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's one positive thing I'll say about this film. It makes even Hellworld enjoyable. Yeah. And, and I don't know you know, whether everyone's going to agree with us on that. But... I don't think people are going to agree with us because I've seen on some forums that some of the fans prefer this definitely to Hellworld, but some of them to Bloodline as well. Wow. I mean, I you know, Hellworld is is very poor, but Bloodline's in a just a different well, it is universe. But, I mean, to blood, this. yeah, Bloodline is yeah, it had problems, and as we went through on that podcast, I mean, it had problems with the budget and with the studio, but at, at the end of the day, it was there was some really good stuff in it, mm. and it was a good story. Well, it's just worlds away from this. It is, and even Hellworld is fun. It's Hellworld some... is. Kind of, it's not quite so bad. It's good, but it's it's nearly there, and it's got some really fun stuff in it. You watch it, and you have a giggle. And we didn't really have a giggle in this one. I was really, really quite bored, um, as I've already said. Um, but yeah, I just kind of was sitting there thinking, "Oh God, when's it going to end?" You know, <laughs> it's just that's the thing. It just it's I'll like... tell you when it ends. It ends at the one hour ten minute mark. <laughs> yeah, it's re- the the credits, the end credits come up. And it's been one hour and ten minutes. That's it. And Seventy it, minutes. And it's an ama- It's got an amazing effect because it feels like I don't know four hours and twenty seven minutes. <laughs> I think. We'll tear your ears apart. All right. So shall we now go through it in detail? 
Right, so everyone, if you want to watch the film, then pause this now and watch it and then come back and listen to the rest of it because there are spoilers we're going to give now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's go back to the beginning. The first time they opened the box, this is something that the first reference to the original story, in fact, the reference to the book, which we're going to do on our next podcast, hopefully, mm. but there's a bell that starts ringing, which I was like, wow, great. I know, yeah, yeah. This is right at the beginning. And they're in Mexico, and he's like, yeah, all right, well, we're in Mexico, there's loads of churches. But we know from reading the book, The Hellbound Heart, that when you open the box, this bell starts ringing. And so that's that got us very excited. But that, that's the thing. It instantly undercuts itself, because he's playing with the box, the box opens, a bell starts tolling. I was like, wow, they've got the bell in there. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. And then the character immediately goes, hey, what? It's Mexico, there's loads of churches. <laughs> and you're just like... No, you didn't need to say that. Oh, no. Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. Right, let's talk about Nico and Stephen. Well, as you said earlier, you know, when you first meet them in the car, they're just awful characters. Yeah. Awful, awful characters. I mean, in Hellworld, the guys in that, you know, we sort of had a bit of a go at them and said, Mm -hmm. oh, these guy characters are really, like, horrible and... You don't care for them. They're just like fun yeah. characters in comparison and with these. They two. were supposed to be funny, and there are lots of people who would find the guys in Hell World funny. I'm sure that people do do like them and laugh at what they say. It just wasn't our cup of tea, so we didn't really like them. But these guys, I, they're just intensely unlikable. I'd yeah. say. And then Nico turns out to be sort of a he's the bad boy of the two. And he's sort of almost trying to do some J.P. Monroe acting, like we said. Yeah, and, and this is the thing, you know. Peter said, hey, he's, he's trying to do J.P. Monroe. <laughs> and I was just like, I feel so bad for criticising J.P. Monroe, the actor <laughs> who played him, when I look at this. Because, my yeah. God, this this new guy. You said you were you'd wishing for some J.P. Monroe right I now. I <laughs> wish. If he was in the film, I'd be like, thank God. Yeah. But these two, I think, you know, they're poorly cast because they just come across as really young boys. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I guess that's what their characters supposed are supposed to be. To be. Young, yeah, they are supposed to be young, young, immature men, boys, who are go, who have fled because of a reason we'll find out later on. And they just want to get wasted, as they say. And they just want to go off and have adventures and have sex and drink lots of booze yeah and at this point that's all you know about them um but you do know that they're horrible people (laughs) yeah when they first go to mexico and they're they're in this bar which which looks nothing like a bar no you know what i mean it's a room with some tables and chairs yeah it it looks terrible and they're just drinking tequila Mm -hmm. swigging down shots of tequila and they just look awful they just everything they say is awful they're all drunk and like yeah buddy whoa here we are Tijuana yeah and it's just really embarrassing I don't know how much of that was written maybe some of it was improvised on set I mean if you if if you've got bad actors improvising that will make it even worse it will but then someone presumably the director and editor will probably watch the before they put it in the film well, yeah, you, you would hope. I'd hope so, and I would probably cut all well, that Well, the editor out. had to watch it at least once. <laughs> Maybe they did To put it together. Um, so, yeah, and then, you know, there's this uh, rather attractive girl 
sitting mm. on her own at a table mm-hmm. in this bar and they both see her and go, yeah, she's really hot, let's go over and talk to her. And they're just going lech all over They her. do, they're all over her, they're videoing in her face. And they're drunk and horrible. And they're drunk and she has a shot with them and it's just like, in real life, she, she would, would be like, get the fuck she away would hit from me. Them. Yeah, she would slap one of them and then walk off. It's like, you know, a 12 year old's fantasy of what being a man is. Yeah. You know, getting drunk Which in a bar. Which is weird because it's written by a grown man. I know, but, it, you know, yeah, you go in a bar and you get drunk and then this hot girl will be like, oh, that's really cute. I suppose, I mean, really, it's, it's being aimed at teens, probably. What, the film? Yeah. I mean, there's this whole, the whole remake culture at the moment. A lot of those films are obviously aimed at teens because the, the casts are all young, attractive teenagers who get picked off one by one by whoever, Freddy or Jason or Leatherface or whoever it might happen to be. So do you reckon this one is aimed at the teen audience as well? Well, it's very interesting that you say that because this sort of scene would suggest that. However, we'll get on to this later, folks, but the amount of soul-crushingly boring scenes with grown-ups talking well, that's true. And I was about, about their children get on, get on in this that. film. And the you main know. story is actually about the grown-ups, really. The whole and ending is. Do you know what I mean? And they're really, really that, boring. Yeah, you wouldn't be interested if you were a kid. There's, you know, there's certain elements of this film. There's, like, you know, some girls with their uh, boobs out and, <laughs> you know, you see some nakedness and drinking. And Not very sex. much, though. Not compared to some of the other ones. no. But it's completely not justified in this film either. I just you can just almost see the studio going. You gotta get some boobs in there. Yeah. Gotta have at least one shot of boobs. <laughs> Is that your impression of one of the Weinstein's? <laughs> it's not because I don't want to. I don't want to criticize the Weinstein's too much because they'll probably come around my house and do me in. <laughs> but hey, someone, some unnamed <laughs> film producer. Yeah. So this girl then, they Nico ends up having sex with her. We haven't really said Nico is actually supposed to be the boyfriend of Emma, Stephen's sister. Um, and Stephen is all up for having sex with this hot lady they've met at the bar. And then Nico has sex with her and Stephen is like, you always do this. Yeah. Um, and we first find this out as Emma's watching it on the video camera. And that's quite interesting. Well, here again, you know, let's get really into what the motivations are here and think about the writing. Um, <laughs> it cuts to, you know, his his mum watching this video that has been returned to them after their children went yeah. missing. Okay? And then Emma comes in and says, oh, what's on that videotape? Why won't you let me watch it? And she says, nothing, nothing. You, you shouldn't watch it. Yeah. She then puts the videotape in this bag. Leaves it. In and just room. leaves it there for Emma to just yeah. walk in and take it. And, and it, it kind of shows And Emma's obviously murdered. upset about the fact that they're missing. And also the mum knows that on the video is Emma's boyfriend having sex with a weird hot woman. So there's no way she would leave that around for Emma to find. No, no. And, you know, you can say, yeah, but it's got to move the story on. But, like, it just... That's fine, but have have her lock it somewhere. And then a little scene of Emma picking the lock and finding the... Oh, there's all sorts of things you could do. Mm. So anyway, um, they watch this video. And this is how this is being relayed, you know. But then it's also cut in with... The found footage stuff isn't just found footage, it's also being filmed properly, you know, them filming it. So it's not just all sort of, you know, Blair Witch Project style. Which is really good because I really don't like films where it's all... I couldn't have watched it know, if it was all... If it was all handicam, just from the handicam. Shaky cam. Because yeah. you do get to that point where you're like, why aren't you just putting the camera down? Why are you filming this? 
Yeah. Um, and in this film, they, they just don't care about that. It's fine. They just kind of do it on the video, handy cam, and then it just cuts to real film. Yeah, and what they were doing, so they don't have to film everything. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, I'm glad they did that. That was a good choice. That was a good choice. Um, so, yeah, so he's sleeping with this hooker in, in the toilets of this yeah, I wouldn't bar. say he's sleeping with. He's not sleeping with. He's having sex with her yeah. in the toilet, and his friend passes out on the floor, <laughs> and then wakes up, and Nico is all edgy and wants to leave yeah and he's like why 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 do you want to leave why do you want to leave oh she was a hooker you had to pay her and he's looking all weird and then they find that he's killed her she's dead yeah so we never really find out how she died but she's just there dead head against the toilet bowl and there's blood everywhere Mm -hmm. and nico's like i don't know how it happened man she hit her head or something i don't know i was drunk so were you yeah that's fair enough, though. I mean, if you are drunk, then you should expect, you know, you might kill someone. Exactly. That's what happens when you get drunk. Exactly. And I don't know, like, to try and be to try and be charitable to the film, are they... I got the kind of impression here that they were saying that he might have done it on purpose because he is a bit of a freak, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, he's that... a bit rough and a bit, I don't mm. know, something... Maybe. Yeah. Well, he was being very rough and sort of animal-like when he was having sex with her. So. So maybe he, maybe he, maybe he, maybe he just went purpose. too far, or maybe maybe he didn't mean to kill her, but you know, things. But he meant bit. to smash her he head against smash her the toilet against... bowl. <laughs> yeah. You know that old, that old maneuver, in the bedroom, <laughs> or the toilet. But anyway, she's dead, and then. He convinces Stephen to. Not worry about it and just ignore it and carry on. You know, Stephen's a bit upset about the whole thing. And then Nico's like, don't worry, life is cheap down here. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to find in, her. Down here in Mexico, life is cheap. She's just a statistic now. Well, he says, which I think is really funny again. He's like, oh, fingerprints are going to be all over that bathroom. And yeah. he's like, no, do, what, do you think that place ever gets cleaned? No way. And I'm like, well, if it doesn't get cleaned, then they will be there. But his yeah. reasoning is that there's lots of fingerprints in yeah. that bathroom. I don't know. Yeah. That's really nitpicking, but... And he says there'll be fingerprints in there dating back to the last Ice Age. <laughs> <laughs> Cracking line of dialogue, that. Zing. So now they're in another bar having this discussion, aren't they? Well, this is later. We go back first. We go back to the um, the parents' party, and then oh, Stephen yeah. turns up. Yeah. So the, 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 the family... Oh, no, first of all, sorry, we need to just say again, uh, Emma... As she's watching the video, she also finds in the bag, Stephen's bag, the puzzle box, which is in there as well. Yes. And she has a little fiddle with it, and uh, then Stephen turns up. Yeah, because basically before this, we've had the families sitting around and saying things like, we never talk about their disappearance. Yeah, but my brother and my boyfriend disappeared, and you never talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, all these things that people would never, ever say. No. So it's set up that they always have these meals or whatever. They all meet up together and don't discuss the fact that their children disappeared. So Stephen turns up and he's all weak and wobbly and he's basically saying, I don't want to go back there. The Cenobites, they're going to get me. Don't let me get caught again. And so the parents are like, what? Maybe maybe they were kidnapped. Where's Nico then? Mm, Where is Nico? And then uh, she... Emma fiddles with a box again and all the lights go out and the house starts shaking and then Stephen wakes up and goes outside to the swimming pool oh yeah it's also um, we should point out that Pinhead has been seen now 
Yeah. And he's actually listening to these people talking. Okay, right. Now let's talk about Pinhead. Mm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there are some shots scattered throughout this of Pinhead almost, yeah, almost listening. Every time the box gets touched, he's sort of there in a room somewhere. Which is awful. Yeah, that is bad. There's there's a couple more Cenobites as well. There's a female chatterer who isn't too bad, but she's not great. I mean, she's not she's not chatterer. She's got different makeup. Yeah. But it, I just think it's really awful that throughout the film, he exists in a small room that's been done up to look like a Hellraiser-y room. Yeah. Every time it goes cuts back to them, it's just the Cenobites are just hanging, hanging out in this little room that's blue and has some chains in it it has some chains it has the wooden block turning the pillar and you know some slat walls with some blue light but it looks really bad that they they're just in this room and you can so obviously tell it's a small little room where they're just standing around Mm. and one thing we get glimpses of is pinhead putting pins into or nails into another person's head he's sort of making a new pinhead which we'll find out later on who that is properly. Yeah, so it's it, it's someone who looks like a fresh pinhead. Yeah, um, he's he's basically skinless, but he's getting sections of skin placed onto his head and then nails driven in to keep them in place. Which isn't really what I th- think of when I think of pinhead. To me, it's more like actual skin that's been divided with a knife or something. Well, that, that's well, that is what it is. Yeah, you see that's that in the beginning of shown. Hellbound, don't you? Yeah, yeah. the scalpel. Yeah dissects his head um, but leaves the skin on and then nails get hammered into it yeah so it, this is different to that obviously but let's talk about pinhead yeah let's he's in a small room you know there's some other things whatever but this is of course not doug bradley as we've already mm-hmm. said so instead of deciding to go with a different cenobite they have just kept pinhead in it and they've recast him which again i think is a huge insult to Doug Bradley, who's really made this character. Yeah, and also, he's really bad. The new guy. The new guy. The new guy. So, new Pinhead is actually played by two actors. There's a guy physically doing it, a guy called Stephen Smith Collins, but he's dubbed over by someone else, who is called, forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Fred Tataschiori, or something along those lines who is the voice of Pinhead. And he's done a lot of voices for sort of cartoons and comic book things, hasn't he? Mm. But, first of all, it doesn't look like Doug Bradley at all. And if you're going to recast it, especially if you're going to dub his voice over, surely you should find someone who looks a bit like Doug Bradley. Yeah. The new guy, he's just... His face is a very different shape and his features are in are just very different to Doug Bradley's. And it's so, yeah. so obvious. I think the chin, particularly... His chin was what I kept looking at. And his at. nose, and his and eyes. Yeah, well, his features, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the voice is just wrong. I mean, Doug Bradley, you know, you all know Pinhead's voice. And this guy, he's just like, he's like a Muppet character. He's like a cartoon character. It's, I mean, it's trying to be an English accent, isn't it, for a start? Well, that's the thing, yeah. And the accent, for any English people watching, it's not perfect. For an American audience, it's probably possible maybe i don't know possibly but um it's not perfect the english accent's not perfect but he's just doing this weird 
You summoned us. You summoned us. We came. We came now with the box. Yeah. What is that? What Nico. And the whole thing about Pinhead is his stillness. And this guy is not still. His head's moving around. He's sort of looking from side to side. He's moving quite quickly sometimes. And I mean, you just go back to listen to our interview podcast. You've got Doug Bradley saying the one note he kept getting from Clive Barker in the first film was do less. And this guy, I wish he'd been told that. He's just sort of trying to act everything and not very well. And it just doesn't work. I mean, if you'd never seen this character before, then you would probably think it was acceptable. But because we know who Pinhead is, this is so far removed, it's really jarring. It is hugely jarring. Especially for for fans. And yeah, it's, you know... I believe it or not, even though my comments so far wouldn't suggest this, I did try and watch this and give it the benefit of the doubt, this film, and I wanted yeah. it to be good. I really wanted it to be good. I did, yeah. I really wanted it, but um, man, it's, it's yeah, this, this new pinhead thing does not work, and there is n- no reason in the world why it couldn't have been a different Cenobite. Yeah. I don't think. Well, yeah, there is, because then they couldn't put him on the front cover of the DVD to yeah, sell him. but like, even a, even one that looks similar... Mm-hmm. With like pins, but just different, you know. Obviously, that would attract huge amounts of criticism as well. But yet, you know, there's no, there's no point in doing the same character if you can't do it the same. If you can't make it look the same, I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I agree. Or sound the same. Or sound the same. And the sound is is, is that's one of the most jarring things about it. I think. Yeah. Now, my first reaction was, oh, wasn't it a shame that Doug Bradley isn't playing it? Because if it was Doug Bradley playing it, then maybe it'd be okay. But you. Mm disagreed with that didn't you well i was just i know i mean i knew that doug bradley would would do it well but actually by the time the film finished i was really happy that doug bradley wasn't in it because i didn't want to see him in this film and the lines are not good the pinhead lines and i know that doug bradley is great and he could make them sound good but not all of them you you can't really polish up a turn yes (laughs) unfortunately um, you know, I think Doug Bradley was right on the money and I'm really glad that he's not in this film because you don't need this on your CV. No, I mean, he, what he said about the ink not being dry on the script was completely right. Well, I think, like you said, Phil, it looked like a first draft. Yeah, to me. And this is what you I hand in was. your first draft and then the studio or the producer or the director looks at it and says, OK, I like what you've done here and here and here, but you need to work on the dialogue a bit more. Or change this bit and this bit. And they just read it and went, yep, that'll do, fine, okay. Yeah, because you can argue, you know, they wanted it to be super cheap, obviously, because it was like $300,000 or something. And that's what it, yeah, that's what, that, what it cost. Um, and that's fine, because this is a very cheap film, because it takes place in hardly any locations. Mm-hmm. But dialogue is free. <laughs> <laughs> if, the peop- if the people are going to be saying words to each other... Let's yeah. let's redraft them a bit, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I'm glad Doug Bradley wasn't in it and wasn't involved. So yeah. Basically, the new Pinhead is not good. But I've got a theory, <laughs> which I'm going to put forward now. So it's up on the podcast online for everyone to hear. In this film, we see Pinhead in inverted commas creating a new Cenobite with nails in his head. Pseudo Pinhead. Yeah, known as Pseudo Pinhead. Right, yeah, that's that's acceptable. That's accepted. That happens in the film. That happens in the film. So my theory is that this pinhead was actually a creation of our Doug Bradley pinhead. 
this is what I'm going to go with because it makes me feel better about this character. Doug Bradley's Pinhead created this guy, Pinhead 2, yeah, who basically, and then he went off to do his own thing and ended up creating pseudo Pinhead and being in this story. That's what I'm going to stick with because it makes me feel better. If it makes you feel better, Peter, then, <laughs> then go for it. So I, let us know what you think of that theory. Probably not the first person to have said that, but um, yeah, let it give us some feedback on that and see if you agree or if you just want to ignore this film, pretend it didn't ever exist. Well, I tell you what, that's a perfect example. I mean, we've talked about this before in some of the podcasts where we're saying we're just looking at what's on the screen and we're not talking yeah. about... Because the fans of these films, the majority of them, have got great imaginations and creativity. <laughs> and when you have a flaw in the film the fans will plug that hole Do you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? they will, yeah they will and i've read many forums where people have been really creative and i've been like wow that's really impressive that you've thought that however that's not in the film yeah um and this is another good example of that that you know that makes you happy and that <laughs> you know i can understand this idea that perhaps the pinhead you know in the order of the gash or whatever mm. he's involved with you know there is this tradition of uh, anointing yourself with the pins and they yeah. go down and they all look like that that's fine, but it's not the case that, they, that no, that's what they were trying it's to do. Not. And no, I mean, as far as this film will tell you, it's a Hellraiser film, and this is the character called Pinhead, mm. which is a shame. Well, I don't know. Is it, is well, it, I'm still going to go have, with let's my... Have, let's have people's feedback I'm on, still your, going with my theory. on your theory. Damn it. Yeah, if anybody's got any ideas or you, you like Peter's theory, let us know. Or if you like the new Pinhead, let us know that as well and tell us why. Oh, yeah. Please, we'll say this again at the end, but please, we'd love to have some discussions about this yeah. film yeah, yeah, because yeah. I really want to know what people. Especially think from about people it. who liked it, let us know because we're not just going to say you're an idiot for liking it. We actually want you to tell us why you like it, and then we'll discuss that. And you might, you know, change our mind slightly to make us realise it's better than this gut reaction that we're having at the moment, <laughs> which is because it's still pretty brand new, really. I thought you were going to say it's better than this guff. <laughs> <laughs> The podcast. You downloaded it. We came. So we find out in flashback that when Nico opened the box, Pinhead turned up and basically took him away to hell. You summoned us. <laughs> anyway, he gets taken away, and then Stephen at some point is having sex with a prostitute, mm-hmm. as you do, and he hears this Nico's voice saying, Kill her. I need blood. Mm. And so he just bashes her head in with the puzzle box. Mm-hmm. And then Nico turns up out of the mattress. Mm-hmm. And you th- So listen to this. If you haven't seen it, you're probably thinking, well, that sounds good. That's like the first and second ones combined. But it isn't really. <laughs> it's not even done very well. No, it's poor. He just comes up through a hole in the mattress and, and so it's ob- it goes. It's obviously, because there's nothing else in the frame, it's obviously just a really badly set up special effect. And he's like, her blood brought me back. You gotta get more. Yeah. And it just oh, um, yeah. So that is what happens then. Stephen has to kill more people to bring Nico back to life properly. But that's not really played out properly in the film either, because he sort of has a go at killing another person, another yeah. prostitute, doesn't he? Yeah. And he doesn't. And he can't because she's got a kid, a little. She's got a baby. Baby. And so Nico then decides to do it himself and kills her and the baby. So once again, this is what I'm saying. It's not played out properly because he says to Stephen, I need you to go and kill people for me. Stephen yeah. has a try at killing one other person. Can't do it. Oh, I don't know about that. I think it might be implied that he has done it 
before to a couple of others, and this is the most recent one. Oh, really? You can't do. That's oh, what I okay. took from it. Well, my brain switched off then. <laughs> at that point. Um, I mean, I might be wrong, but that's what I took. He'd, he'd done it a few times, and so Nico was a bit more brought back than he was before. Oh. But this one time, because doesn't he say to me, like, I'm not doing this anymore? No, that's what, he, that's what I mean. He says well, I'm not helping you anymore, but I, I'm I like... I took that as, I've been helping you for a while now. But I'm not going to help you anymore. I just didn't see any indication of that in the film, apart from maybe that there line. Isn't. Maybe I just took that because... Because the line doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And again, to make me feel better. I, I'm filling the gaps myself. But I kind of like, you know, maybe if he had a splatter of blood on his top or something. Or, mm-hmm. I don't know. Just some little thing. Yeah. Just to sort of, anyway, he, so he, he can't kill this prostitute uh, because she's got a baby. And this is, again, another bit that doesn't make sense to me, where Nico turns up and says, Go on, kill her. You've got to kill her. You've got to kill her for me. And he goes, no, I'm not going to do it anymore for you. And he says, all right then. And then he just kills her himself. And he does it, yeah. So why didn't he do it in the first place? Well, exactly. Yeah, silly. Yeah. Anyway, goes back to the parents' house and their dinner. And then they hear something outside. And they've been saying they think the guys were kidnapped. And maybe there's a, the murderer is outside, they think. Well, this is what they're sort of implying. This, the, is, this gets very convoluted now. Yeah, yeah, because they, they think this because... When Stephen arrives, they mm. try to call the hospital, but the phone has been cut. Yeah, and also and then they decide to drive there, but both their cars have been stolen. Disappeared. Their oh, cars have disappeared, disappeared, aren't they? The cars have disappeared. And, and so this film is saying that Pinhead is, <laughs> is standing in this room in hell, and he wants these people, so he's cut their phone line and mm-hmm. disappeared their cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and we've also, we've missed out, there's a, a sort of tramp character that gives them the box and this does this really bad dialogue about how it can give you experiences and it's oh. better than sex and all that stuff. Yeah, because this is this is a really, actually, I, this is a really big point of the film that I, that I hated was the tramp character who gives them the box because in just a couple of paragraphs, they sort of ask, what is it? Yeah. And oh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he distills the whole essence of Hellraiser in a couple of paragraphs really poorly done and it gets rid of all of the mystery all of the ambiguity of what Clive Barker initially did with Hellraiser of what goes on in hell what is it about this pain and pleasure and sensation and experience and I think this little bit of dialogue from this tramp guy just makes it sound really flat and boring and just basically like yep you go to hell and we'll give you really really bad pain and then you'll the pleasure will be really sweet yeah I think the the initial concept that Clyde Barker had was so much more than that somehow. I mean, and it's it was supposed that. to be mysterious as well. Well, that's it. I don't want to know what it is, what goes on. Mm. But also, I mean, for me, what's worse is later on when Stephen, back in the you know present day, the parents' house, he's been talking about Cenobites, and then Emma, the sister, turns up with a dictionary. And it's like, oh, look, here it is. Cenobite. <laughs> I looked it up because I'd never heard the word before. And this is its description. This is the ninth film in the, the Hellraiser series. I mean, series. Cenobite, you, you want it to be. I mean, I know I mentioned on the first podcast the fact that it does mean someone who lives in a sort of, you know, a religious, like a monk who lives in a monastic community. But that's only because I looked it up in the dictionary myself because I, I was interested. And for most fans would probably think it's a word Clive Barker made up. Yeah, or, you, or why... you know what the meaning is by the ninth film. Exactly. By the ninth film, you, you've looked in the dictionary yourself, or yeah. or you 
you just like the word. But if you if you think he made it up, then you should carry on thinking that without this film saying, oh, by the way, you know that word that you thought was really cool? It's actually just something else. Yeah. I didn't like that, the fact that she reads it out from the dictionary. That's no, bad. It doesn't really have any place in no. this film. Um, and then she goes and sees Stephen in his bedroom, her brother, remember? And then he comes onto her and gets off with her and fills up her boob. Yeah, but this is after she was playing with the box. She's become really attracted the, to the box. The now. idea, yeah, she fiddles with the box and it gets her really randy. Well, yeah, so she's playing with the box and then she's oh, she, she comes on to coming on Nico's to dad, Nico's first, dad, yeah. really quite strongly. Like mm. she's basically sort of really getting off at the t- at the kitchen table, yeah. which her mum notices and goes, yeah. "Can you please go and give this soup to your brother?" So she goes and sees her brother, and then he gets off with her. He kisses her and feels her up. Right, so then the dads hear a noise outside, and they grab a shotgun, and they go out, and they find the tramp who sold them the box, or gave them the box. Mm. And Nico's dad gets really cross because he's drunk, and he shoots the tramp, who then gets up again and cuts his face up with a big knife and kills him. Yeah, and this scene's supposed to be kind of really like, oh my god, you know, he cuts his face off, basically. But it just does... It just doesn't work for me no it's not very exciting this bit and then all of a sudden Stephen has the shotgun let's just cut to the chase now (laughs) there isn't a chase it's a really boring film (laughs) (laughs) yeah where's the engineer when you need him (laughs) (laughs) and now here's the big twist moment it turns out that Stephen is actually Nico wearing Stephen's skin yeah he so Stephen comes in and shoots Stephen's dad yeah. in the stomach but then you find out it's actually Nico yeah wearing Stephen's skin and then there's a flashback to uh, Mexico and skinless Nico is saying to Stephen come on I need one more and can you make it a man please because I need his skin and then Stephen says I'm not going to do it so Nico says very well I'm going to have yours then yep. and takes his skin off cuts his skin off yeah so Nico stole Stephen's skin and left him skinless in a hotel room in Mexico so this dinner party has rapidly deteri- deteriorated. Nico's dad's been killed by a tramp. Stephen's dad's been shot by Nico in Stephen's skin. And then there's this really awful scene where the character who is the character Nico, but it's the actor who played Stephen, walking around taunting people with this shotgun. And it's just really bad. It's really poorly acting here. It's like, oh, mother... Don't you like it when I do this? Yeah. Oh, I shot him in the face. <laughs> yeah, and you, I've been having sex with your daughter. How'd you like that? Oh, dear. Yeah. And it's just bad. And then he makes Emma open the box because his plan is to summon the Cenobites because he's been on the run from them and offer them another soul instead of his, the soul of Emma, instead of his, so they'll then leave him alone. But this is this is a crucial point, again, that makes no sense, because he says, this is my plan. When she opens the box mm-hmm. and the Cenobites appear, the actor goes, oh, no, get away from me, as Pinhead yeah. approaches, and doesn't sort of say, ah, I'm, 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 I've got a plan, I've got a plan. Here's, yeah. here's my deal. He looks like it's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's with editing. I don't know what that is. But. No. Oh, and another thing, just to just to point out, was that he said the reason why they left, why Stephen and oh, Nico yeah, left... Oh, point that out as well. Yeah. ...was because their parents were having an affair with each yeah. other. Yeah, Stephen's dad was having an affair with Nico's mum, and that comes out now in this 
crappy shotgun scene. But that's why they left, basically. Right, and then at the end, so when the Cenobites get summoned, Pinhead turns up with this pseudo Pinhead. And then in a little flashback, we actually find out that this other Pinhead that's being created is actually Stephen. So when Stephen was left in the hotel room in Mexico, skinless, he picked up the box and then we don't see it, but we assume that he then opened it, summoned Pinhead and then started being turned into a pseudo Pinhead. So yeah, they turn up and they basically say, we're not going to go along with your deal, you idiot. We're going to take you back. But before they can take him back, Stephen's dad shoots him. Mm. We're talking about Nico here in Stephen's skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen's dad shoots him. And then Pinhead gets really cross with him, saying, we were going to take him back and basically torture him forever, you idiot. Mm. And now you've gone and killed him. What we were going to do was far worse than anything that you could have done. And the, you killing him was nothing compared to what we could have done. Now, that's I like that. But that's interesting. I like the idea behind it. But then there's still something weird about this to me, um, in that I thought that once the Cenobites kind of had you, that you kind of couldn't die. Where'd you get that from? Purely because I don't think it's possible to torture someone for eternity and not have them die. No, and fair I, enough, but that, that might be only when you're in hell. Maybe okay. if you come back to the real world, if you escape back to the real world, then you can be killed. I'm sure, I mean, yeah, I'm sure lots of people have lots of different theories about this, but I always kind of imagined that when you were in, yeah, when you were in the Cenobites world, that they could, that they would could imply... actually rip you apart, yeah, they but can. then put you back together again and, and start it all over again. But think about Frank in the first film. Hmm. You do get the impression that he is very strong, but that he could get hurt, I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just when you're with the pen, the Cenobites in hell. Yeah, but I don't you, know. If you manage to escape back to the real world, then you can be killed. Yeah. Well, well that's not... because this guy is here. That's not a fault of this film. It's just something I was no, thinking no, no, about. No. I'm kind of wondering. Um, so basically, Pinhead, to punish the dad, he takes his wife to hell. Yeah, because he says... Um, that he's really interested in his daughter. He does want the daughter. Pinhead wants the daughter. Yeah. But he said that the seed of darkness that was in Nico is already in her and it's going to grow and she's going to use the box one day anyway. And I guess that's what that flirting scene was about where mm. she kind of like flirted with the other guy's dad. Yeah. Just to show that she's, <gasps> she's bad. Yeah. So he takes the wife, Stephen's mum, away to hell. And then the very end, you sort of see Emma picking up the box again. The dad dies, the one who got shot. And then, yeah, Emma picks up the box and sort of gives this look to camera and blackout credits. Oh, and they kill... One hour, ten minutes. They kill um, the other mum, don't they? Oh, yeah, they do, yeah. Nico's mum gets her throat ripped apart by little chains. Which I think looks cool. Yeah, that's good. I like that bit. I think when they kill... It's implying that... He does it because she wouldn't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> he Pinhead basically says to the mums, you two need to shut up now. All right. And then she's like, and he, he rips her throat apart. <laughs> that's quite good. Yeah, that's kind of all right, actually. Um, yeah, but the um, when the Stephen, Stephen's mum gets taken. Yeah. Um, and they have chains going through her cheeks. Yes. And I think that looks a bit silly. <laughs> I think it looks a bit funny, that bit. Yeah. So I think we've sort of given you our thoughts and feelings on Hellraiser Revelations. We both thought it was a bit of a shame. Yeah, just a just a bad, bad, unfortunate thing because, you know, I'm sure 
that the people involved didn't set out to make a bad film. Of course they didn't. That would be ridiculous. No. But for whatever reason, the people either weren't talented enough or the money, the time factor, mm-hmm. anything like that. Lots of different things. I'm totally willing for any of them to be true. Yeah. You know, maybe all of them. Maybe all of them, whatever. Um, it's just come out the other end. I'll tell you who is to blame. The, I think the studio. We can blame the studio for rushing it into production. And they've killed it now, you know. Yeah, well. They've killed the franchise. We'll see. Well, this is the thing. I mean, if they don't get the remake done, then it'll get to the stage where they have to bring out another one, otherwise they'll lose the rights again. So they'll churn another one out, number 10. And this is the thing. This is why I don't want them to get the idea. I don't want the studio to get the idea that us fans are going to swallow this crap <laughs> and, <laughs> and just go, thanks very much. Can we have some more of that, please? Yeah. Say something positive about Hellraiser Revelations. The very basic kernel of the idea of the story, the core sort of story, yeah. um, is not a bad one. No, I quite like the story. And if the dialogue had been written a bit better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, the basic idea of the story is not, not bad. And some of the special effects are quite good. The they gore, are. The oh, gore, no, yeah, the gory yeah. moments. No, no, actually, yeah. What am, I, what am I saying? Yeah, the special effects are... Are pretty cool. Yeah, there's a couple of um, you know they've gone back a little bit to try and get a bit more hardcore. There's a bit where is it Stephen gets his face ripped off? Yeah, like, yeah, with yeah. A, you know, and uh, yes, yeah, skinless. his face is peeled off. Mm. That's quite good. But yeah, you just you just feel this immense potential with the Hellraiser franchise, and that's why it's got so many fans and people on forums yeah. and people online constantly talking about it. And it's just it could be so great, and it doesn't have to cost that much money. I don't think it just needs. People who are as talented, well, maybe they're not going to be as talented, but, you know, talented like Clive Barker. Mm. I, w- I would say, Phil would disagree with me, but I would say, do check it out. Have a look at it. It's only short. Um, I think if there's, yeah, it's just a problem. If there's some way to watch this film, you know, like you do all chip in together and buy it together or something <laughs> like that, you know, that's not going to make the studio go, wow, we made huge profits off that film. Let's make another one. No. Um, if there's some way to do that, then, you know, watch it by all means. Because I would like to know what people think about it. Yeah, I would as well. Yeah, so keep your feedback coming in. Podcast at hotmail.co.uk. We are still going to have our feedback podcast at some point soon. So keep it all coming in and we'll read out facts and opinions and questions. And we'll have another discussion there based on what you guys are saying as well. So do get all that sent in to us. Um, or on Twitter, at HellraiserCast. Um, check out our website, HellraiserPodcast.com. And um, we've got a Facebook page as well. You can leave things there, comments or anything else you fancy. Um, right, I think that we're about done for this one, Phil. We are. We are. Right, so our next podcast, we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the short film No More Souls that Gary Tunnicliffe made. Mm-hmm. Which is on the, it's a special feature on the Deader Region 1 DVD, if you've got that, so check that out. And we're also going to be going right back to the beginning and talking about the book, The Hellbound Heart, the novel, the novella that Clive Barker wrote, that the first Hellraiser film was based on. I'm going to go through the differences between the book and the film. So that'd be a lot of fun. So if you've got that, then have another read of it, reread it before the next podcast. If you haven't got it, I would very much recommend you go and get it from somewhere. It's yeah. very, very good. Yeah. And so that's what we're going to talk about on our next podcast. Exciting. Yes. So apologies if this was a bit negative, but unfortunately that's the reaction we got from the film, which is a shame. But who knows what the future might bring? 
well, hopefully some fantastic Hellraiser films. Well, exactly. I mean, hopefully the remake will have a good budget. And so hopefully that will be, if they get the script right, that should be quite impressive. I feel like a, a little sort of whipped puppy because no matter <laughs> what they do to me, the next one, I'm still like, oh, it's going yeah, to be good. This one's going to be good. This one's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it will be. You never know. Until then, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you all next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.